All right, so we're in chapter 21 of the Confession. So if you're wondering where is the Confession, it's in the back of the hymnal. And you'll see uh, that you've got kind of a, I've got, you know, all the, the proof texts. You can find the Confession of Faith very easily online with all the proof texts. Uh, what we have in the hymnal doesn't have uh, the kind of thorough support in terms of proof text that you can find. But we're uh, going to address the subject of uh, religious worship and the Sabbath day. So this is one of those um, chapters that's a really important one for the Reformed. Uh, they're all important, but there are certain chapters that you can say, well, this is where you know, the Reformed kind of make a strong emphasis on something. Obviously, providence would be an example of that. Uh, but this is another one where you, you have that. The uh, the other, you know, most of the most of the ma- you know the, the material that's dealt with are the things that we believe that are dealt with throughout the confession. All Christians, you know, hold to. But then there are some things that we say. Well, that's kind of uh, something that we really think is important and stress. And this is one of those matters. So let's take a look at Article One here. Um, how many articles are there in this? I think uh, eight. Okay, but they're long. <laughs> it reads, The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Okay, so a very uh, strongly worded, but I think sound statement. Let's take a look at each of the clauses here, uh, because you can see that it's broken down in basically two parts. The first part being something that uh, I think all Christians ought to be able to affirm and then the second part, something that we as Reformed people say, you know what, uh, this is important too, and uh, you shouldn't forget it. So let's, let's take a look here at the first part, though. The light of nature showeth that there is a God. Now, what does that mean, the light of nature? Anyone want to venture a, a proffer a suggestion? Yeah, David. Romans 1. Well, there you go. So, but uh, there was light, at, light of nature before Romans 1 was written. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> in other words, Romans 1 is affirming something that was already the case. And I think this is an important thing. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with you. I know I knew you knew that. <laughs> but I do think that sometimes our devotion to Scripture can cloud our, our reason. In other words, it's not as though before Romans 1 was ever written, no one knew this. Let me let that sink in. 
In other words, the very point of Romans 1 is you have no excuse because you already know. That's the point of Romans 1. It's not to help us see that, oh, wow, nature uh, also speaks. <laughs> no, it's not that at all. It, what it is is that nature speaks and you know it. That's the point. Scripture is affirming something that is already so. By the way, that's always the case. We don't believe that something is so just because Scripture says it's so. We believe something is so because it's so. You get, you get my, my point? So, um, in other words, Jesus isn't Lord because I believe it. That's the way most people think about religious convictions. Something that, oh, that's just something you believe. I don't believe that, so that's not true. Well, it's true for you, but not true for me. But something, because something is so, we just say it's so. We don't say, oh, that's true for us as Christians. We say it's so. So the gospel, this is a, a, something that Leslie Newbegin, who was a Anglican uh, bishop in India, said years ago. It was a, something that really struck me. I've never been able to kind of lose this statement. The gospel is public truth. That implies that it's not just your personal property. That it's not true just because you want it to be true. It's true because it's true. The resurrection was an historical event. It happened in history. A real body rose from the dead. Now, I remember, I don't know, have I ever told you about this conversation I had with my mentor at Harvard? We were walking across the quad. He was a liberal Presbyterian. I liked him. He was an old jock, tall guy, played center for Occidental. <laughs> so he was a pretty, pretty fun guy. I enjoyed being with him, but I could tell he was testing me. We were walking across the quad, and he made a joke about how some Presbyterians literally believe in a resurrection. And he looked at me out of the corner of his eye. I said, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I wasn't a Presbyterian at the time, uh, but I, I knew that my fate was sealed in his mind at that moment. There are little moments like that where you're called to give you know, your testimony, to make a testimony, that can, you know, these sort of turning points can mean a lot. And the, there are a lot of ways that we, in little compromises, and, you know, you know lose our integrity. Anyway, but, um, so the light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all. That's another important thing. Lordship and sovereignty over all. The word all is really important, but lordship and sovereignty also. Remember, remember those uh, statements, have you made Christ the Lord of your heart? It's almost as though you're, the implication is that you make Christ Lord, as though it wasn't so. Have you noticed what I'm getting at, the subjectivism of our society? <laughs> that's what I'm getting at, that's what I'm driving at. Christ is Lord. When you make him Lord of your heart, he actually already is Lord of your life, whether you acknowledge it or not. 
what you're simply doing when you say that, or put it in the best, I'm framing it in the best way, is you are saying, I now see that. <laughs> you see what I'm getting? I now see that he's the Lord. It's like uh, I'm Michael Horton, the guy that is one of the guys behind uh, the uh, White Horse Inn. I don't know if you've ever listened to that podcast. He's, uh, but anyway, he said, everybody has a relationship with God. It's just some of them are really bad. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Going back to this notion of public truth, yeah. it seems like everybody knows it. I mean, it, Romans 1 talks about that, but there was the necessity then if you were going to subvert that to attack nature as yeah. having its origin <coughs> outside of God. And so that's where all sorts of time and attention has been put yeah. in ridiculous ways. Yeah. Um, but they, they know that, that they know the truth and therefore they know that to subvert it they have to attack yeah. nature. I think that's exactly right. And, and I think it's something that, you know, of course when we think about creation and we think about the account, you know, in the first couple of chapters, you know, we believe it. Uh, sometimes, though, I think we lose sight of some of the implications of the creation. And one of the ways that we are losing sight of that, even in the church, even in you know, churches that are ostensibly conservative, is the implications of it. So, for example, this whole transgender thing. The transgender thing is a, is a repudiation of the meaning of the creation. It's a rejection of it. In effect, it's an, it's, an, it's an assertion that Christ is not Lord. It's an assertion that I am Lord of my body and nobody else. It's not a gift. It doesn't come with like an owner's manual. <laughs> it's just something that I'm going to make up as I go along. This is the meaning of my life, whatever I please you know, for it to be. But you're right. So for the last, particularly the last 300 years, there's been a concerted attempt at every level to undermine the doctrine of creation in terms of its meaning. Now, that's related, of course, to the Darwinist theories and stuff like that. Uh, but I think sometimes uh, we lose sight of sort of the, the, the larger implications of atheists' sort of materialist approaches to things. So let's think about this. So let's, think, let's go back to Darwin. Um, we, can, we can criticize Darwin uh, at one level where we maybe challenge uh, the, you know, sort of the physical evidence and say, this doesn't say what you say it says and stuff like that. But there's another way you can challenge, and that's at the level of its meaning. If Darwinism is the whole story, agonistics are the way in which things kind of occur in the world. What do we mean by that? The term agonistic means... Uh, well, it's where we get the word agony. It means strife or struggle or conflict. So what's the, what's the premise behind the Darwinist account? Survival of the... Right. So creation is ordered through violence. Now, have you noticed anything about recent um, social movements, particularly on the left? They're all about power and violence. They're not really about reason. If you, if you try to reason with these people, basically they only use reason as a tool. In fact, they think of language itself as merely a tool to get your way. That's why when you say something like, well, you know, our bodies have a purpose, that, you know, immediately the response, that's only because you're a white guy. 
that you say that. It's only because of that. You're just serving your own interests. Because that's what this is all about. It's just a war conflict of interests. Power. Power, it's all that it's about. Well, if that's the case, why should I care what you think? So that's usually the response I make to these folks. Okay, let's say that you're right. Why should I submit to your statement of the, the case? Hey, if the white guy won last time, the white guy can win again. <laughs> In other words, let's just, let's just get down to taking off the gloves and have it out. Who's going to win? People who do math or not? People who know how ballistics work or those who don't? <laughs> Things like that. If you really think that that's all there is to it, then you have absolutely zero claim on me. In fact, justice is what might makes right. Why should I give you any, any power to influence me? The only thing you got maybe is like social, you know, sort of like uh, condemnation. But if we pull back all of the all of the, you know, the, the veils. Let's go for it. See how it turns out. Anyway, I'm having a little fun. I love to think about this kind of stuff because this is the way I usually get these people. <laughs> and usually they have, they're silent just like you are. Because <laughs> they, they kind of get it. They realize, okay, wow. Wow, if that's really all there is to it. But if there is a God who loves us and benevolently has ordered the world, then the, Lord, the world does come with meaning and purpose, and our bodies mean something. They're given to us. Now think about it this way. I know I'm kind of maybe getting off the... When I was a kid, maybe I've used this illustration before, about Christmas and socks. Did I ever tell you about Christmas and socks when I was a kid? So anyway, when I was a kid, you know, I was like any kid. I was like up at four in the morning, peeking under the, you know, the wrapping, trying to guess what I was going to get. And then what my, my mother and father decided to do is to go from the worst presents to the, to the best, right? That's the way you always work it, right? So what's the first presents you get? The presents from grandma, and what are they? Underwear. You know, you open it up, and you're like, what? <laughs> what are you going to say? You mean I'm supposed to be thankful for this? <laughs> yes. You know, life without your undies is not pleasant. <laughs> but it's not like I spend all my time thinking about, my goodness, I should be so grateful for those. You know, it's more or less, all right, I thank you. But a lot of life is like that. God gives us all kinds of things we didn't ask for because he knows better. Right? And what do you say? Thank you. Then eventually you get to the G.I. Joe headquarters, you know, or whatever you're really wanting. <laughs> you know, that, you know that's, that's the way it is. But anyway, um, so he doth good to all. So he's sovereign, which means that he's the one who has ordered things. And he's Lord, but he's also good. Now, we know, we know of political authorities that aren't good, right? You know? So it's not necessarily the case that just because the, the, the Lord is the Lord that we should uh, necessarily love him. It's because he's the Lord and good. 
and doeth good to all. So, so for everybody, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, sun as well, right? So there's a, there's a, a bountiful blessing, natural blessing that we all enjoy. This beautiful day, really rotten people are enjoying it just as much as really good people. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's something that we all enjoy together. So he's to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served. They want to make sure you get, you know, full treatment here. Have you noticed that with the confession, with each clause, it's like, okay, let's see if the person tries to squeeze out uh, and tries to get out of it this way. What? Gotcha. You know, we got you there, we got you there, we got you there. So he's to be feared and loved. Now, those two things sometimes are hard for us to hold together, aren't they? Feared and loved. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, Christopher. It's sometimes advanced by people in the evangelical world that fear and love are incompatible. Yeah. Uh, and I think they would cite, is it first no cast out fear? Right. But then you have all those other verses. <laughs> so and we're I, commanded to fear the Lord all through Right. Yeah, and, and I think that particular verse, it's punishment, fear has to do with punishment. So um, the condemnation, there's no, not, therefore, no, 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 there's no, you know, from Romans, no condemnation. But uh, feared, I think, has a broader meaning than just strictly a sense of impending doom. Doom means judgment, by the way. So, you know, it's more than that. Um, it has, so it, this is interesting because this, this is what I see with my granddaughters right now. So, um, like with my granddaughter, uh, Elowen, uh, she's going to be two in, um, in August. Uh, as soon as my wife shows up, Mommy! You know, holds out her arms, you know, is ready for her to pick her up. She sees me, pop, pop. <laughs> like, what am I, some kind of monster or something? <laughs> pop, pop. And it takes like a couple of days before she's warmed up. But it's, what's interesting is, is she's kind of obsessed with me. Pop, 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 pop. She's always saying pop, pop, you know. So anyway, I got this, I got this uh, video from, from my son and my daughter-in-law. And uh, it, was, it was my granddaughter. Pop, pop, say ha, 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 ha. <laughs> pop, pop, say ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you know, just, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> but in her mind, it's like, and, and, but that's kind of the way it is. So what is it about being pop-pop that initially is kind of, ooh, but then kind of fascinating? You know, what, what is it, what's going on? What is it about being marmy that's like immediately, marmy? Mm, Any thoughts? Yeah, David. On the thought of fear and uh, love, I was thinking of when I was a child, my room was right next to our front porch, my window was, and uh, I, I was old enough to know that people could come into the house that shouldn't come in. But I realized that my dad, for how little I was, was a rather big man, but he also had a, a lethal force of armament. So I had this knowledge of this force in my house that was able to take care of any intruder, so I was able to sleep. But so I, I imagined 
those people fearing my dad is I would not want to yeah. what would I do with my dad? I love him. So I was trying to bring those two together. Was it was it as rational as you just made it? No. <laughs> See that's the thing. It's 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 a kind of a felt thing. Um I mean, I knew he had, I knew, I knew his force. Yeah, well, you know, when you think about, you know, we're making a, a comparison between fathers and the Heavenly Father. So this is just an analogy. It's not as though this is like a perfect thing, or a per- perfect relation or sort of mirror, mirror image, but there are certain things. So I remember when I was small, men struck me as obviously larger many, many, many times. But there was also a kind of odor. Do you remember that when you were a little kid? There was this kind of smell to, to guys, to grown men. You know, I know it's not a pleasant, that's why we wear cologne. <laughs> and, and, you know, use deodorant. But there is a kind of uh, hairiness, largeness, weight, all these different kinds of things that kind of can make an impression on a small person, you know, a, a, chi- a, a child. And so it's kind of scary, like with dogs. I don't know if you know, generally dogs know the difference between men and women. I know our dogs did. We had three dogs at one time. Um, the only time I saw the dogs freak out for a, a woman was when uh, Aunt, uh, oh, it was an Aunt Josie. Um, it, was one of, it was one of Marla's relatives. So, so anyway, it was, uh, so Marla's Italian relatives, they were always a lot of fun, very loud, <laughs> you know, lots of animation, that kind of thing. But she had red hair. She had this big pile of red hair on top, and just the dogs freaked out, you know. <laughs> but generally speaking, uh, women were much more sort of welcome to the dogs than full-grown men. So there's something there. I don't want to overdo it, but... But that doesn't mean just because you're kind of physically scary doesn't mean you're going to try to harm anybody. In fact, you may be very tender. You may be a very uh, kind person, you know, like the gentle giant or something. Yeah. I have a little bit of a different perspective on fear. Okay. Uh, before I was 13 years old, I never knew a, a real man. Mm-hmm. And um, I was taught to hate men that they were monsters and so when I moved to Castle Rock, Washington, I know this is going to sound really weird, but there was a concentration of real men there and the reason why is because they had given their hearts to the Lord and they were together families who had been married for 20 and 30 years had kids and I was standing on the outside looking into these families and I thought wow, what's Yeah. So I think, I think we're kind of getting at maybe what we're 
I think we're kind of kind of getting close to what I think this is what fear of the Lord implies. It's a respect. Uh, it's a, an acknowledgement, kind of almost unconscious that the Lord really can take me out <laughs> anytime. And uh, but isn't it wonderful that He doesn't, and that He wants what's best for me and is there for me? You know that's. And that's where the loved comes in, you know, because we recognize the goodness of God as well. Other thoughts? Yeah, Mark. Just in Hebrews 12, where it talks about discipline and the discipline of our fathers. Yeah. <clears throat> definitely you're, you're getting the picture of what you're talking about when he says... Um, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits yeah. and live? Right. So right. it's there's that they're dear fathers, yeah. but they discipline us, and we respect them. So there's both um, kindness and love and, and fear and a healthy relationship yeah. that, that we have to have when we're fallen creatures. Right, yeah, of course, that's all the things that have to be in play to, for that to be life-giving, you know, even at a human level. I think one of the things that I try to stress with, with guys, particularly with fathers, is when it comes to this matter of projecting authority, the first uh, person you need to get control of is yourself. That's number one. If you're not in control of yourself, then you may be able to exercise some control over a situation, but no one really respects it or likes it. <laughs> They're all look, thinking of it as a tyrant at that moment, that you're, it's all about you and your kind of ego needs and stuff like that. But if you have genuine self-control so that you're not flying off the handle, that you're a master of your anger even, you know, then, and you're directing it in, in ways that are positive, constructive, helpful, then people receive it well. So I remember, so I, I, let me give you an example of what I'm getting at. It was not, this is not a father illustration, but it's kind of an authority, an example of, of exercising uh, authority in kind of a crazy s setting. So I was a youth pastor for a period of time, and uh, I was a, pastor, a youth pastor in a church uh, where we had a youth group of about 100 people, 100 kids. And the thing that made it really odd is that there were very distinct groups within this youth group. So there was a bunch of suburban kids from kind of the outskirts of Kansas City uh, over in Raytown. And then there were a couple of other groups. One was uh, a, a group of kids from the Ozarks. They were kind of the uh, wild, you know, kind of southern uh, white trash, for want of a better term, kids that were really the scary ones. <laughs> and then we had a, a group of black kids from sort of the center of, of Kansas City. The way it worked is we had three different locations and we'd have these ministry uh, events in the different locations. And occasionally we'd bring them together all together once a month and that was like crazy. And basically what would happen is that all the suburban kids were just like scared to death. <laughs> and these two other groups were like at each other all the time. And uh, there were times where I had to you know, project some authority. And when I did, there would be like a sense of relief <sighs> came over the room because actually the fear, the anxiety would dissipate. And all three groups actually appreciated it. 
So the exercise of authority was a, was a situation in which uh, I would sort of channel the anger <laughs> at the thing that was occurring in such a way so that it would be directed to the benefit of everybody in the room. And I would, I would have kids come up to me afterwards uh, at these different things and thank me you know, for doing that rather than just kind of letting it turn into survival of the fittest. <laughs> anyway, might have, some folks would just probably rather we just didn't have the big group meetings. <laughs> but anyway, we did them anyway. But um, so feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served. Now, that statement, uh, after we go, you know, after we see, look at the first two, uh, feared, loved, we come to praised. Have you ever thought about that? What's going on with that? Is God in the need of an ego trip? I think sometimes people... Uh, assume that's the case. Like, like we're actually doing something that helps God on a bad day. Uh, it's awfully rough being the Lord. Then a bunch of people start singing praises. Oh, I'm feeling better about myself now. Thank you, folks. I bless you. <laughs> Is that how it works? I think we all know that's silly. That's not how it works. So what's going on with that? Why do we do that? Why do we praise the Lord? If it's not for his, I know when I'm praised, it certainly does something for me. It makes me feel better about myself. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't even feel better about myself under certain conditions or circumstances. But it's always nice when somebody says, hey, thanks for that, or I liked that, or whatever, right? It's always great at a human level. Is God that kind of needy soul? No, of course not. So what's going on? Any thoughts? Yeah, Dan. It's an acknowledgment of who we are and who he is. He deserves our praise because of who he is and, and what he's done for us. Um, yeah, I think that's right. It's just simply we're acknowledging the truth of the matter. <laughs> he is the, the, the greatest. He is the Lord. And when we praise him, uh, we're doing what's right, you know, because we owe him everything. Um, I think there's also another sense uh, that through praising him, we're actually benefiting from that. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah, I, I think of it the same way kind of how I think about gratitude. Yeah. In the sense of, um, it's kind of a reality check. People tend to get stuck in their own head through sin or just through, you know. Um, but when you actually say things or give things or give praise, it's kind of this like, oh yeah, I remember the relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the center of the world after all. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Completion through obedience. I'm sorry, what's that? Completion through obedience. Completion like, through obedience. That's an so interesting statement. Let me, let me, well, the Bible says offer the sacrifice of yeah. praise. Right. And for some, it is a sacrifice. And we're, we're seeking a complete Christian walk. Yeah. We're not seeking perfection because... Right now, we can never attain perfection. That's the goal. But completion, so doing these things, not by rote, yeah. but remembering, oh, oh yeah, that thankfulness. Right. Oh, oh, look at that sky. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Completion yeah. by obedience. Yeah, I like that. And it, and it ties into all things were made by him and for him. 
Right, right. Mark. Just getting to the point you made about for our benefit, yeah. when we know the truth and we're acknowledging those things that are most critical to who we are as, as men made in the image of God, knowing who he is, that he is sovereign, that he has done these things, what our condition is, how he is taking care of them, he's glorified and we're built up. Yeah. We're made, he's glorified in the fact that we are made to think and act differently mm -hmm. because we know a truth and believe it yeah. and, and are sure of it that that changes the world. I mean, it changes us and it changes everything in the world because, because of that worship of him. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And it gets at something that a number of people, you know, theologians have talked about. In some sense, we're participating in his glory when we glorify him. In other words, it's, a, it's kind of a, a reflection back to him of himself. And so we are transformed uh, in the process. Yep, David. A couple truths that have really helped me is that the triune God was perfectly content and glorious. They did not need to go through this whole creative right. process. Right. They're so glorious, we can't add to it. Or you can recognize it. And then I think as C.S. Lewis said, he's more concerned for our sanctification than we are. Yeah. He is working tirelessly in our lives. And when we stop and acknowledge it, we're praising him for what he's doing, not what we're doing for Right. Right, yeah, he works in us to willing to do according to his good purpose. So even when we think, oh, I've got this great idea. Well, no, it was, <laughs> you know, God's working in you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it is, like, if that's how it's meant to be in the paragraph, but, like, I noticed this um, kind of order seems like it's fit with it saying, feared, loved, and yeah. praised because, you know, you have the, the fear and respect that he's sovereign, he's in control, and he can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. um, you love him because he first loved you, and um, just looking at First John and everything it says about God and love, and because of both of those things, you fear him, you love him, and then you praise him. Right. And, like, my one of my friends just like became a Christian um, recently and I was on the phone and he's like I just I still don't know like I just still feel so undeserving and yeah. like, that's okay that's yeah. normal like that's yeah. how you're gonna think you know but I just noticed that order of like yeah we're gonna praise him because we fear him he's in control he's sovereign we love him because of what he's done for us and we praise him above all yeah, yeah, Amberlin brings out something I think that's really good to keep in mind is that particularly with these, you know, scriptures, but also here in the confession, uh, even the order of things is not irrelevant. There's a, there was some thought given to the proper order to kind of arrange this in. And that's, I think that's right. You know, there's this boom, 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 and, and it kind of follows. And then you get to called upon, right? So you call upon the Lord. Um, which is a remarkable thing, uh, isn't it? I mean, I think, again, it's something we take for granted. We, we say, oh, there's always prayer. Or like, you know, uh, you know, 
I, you know, when you, when you can't do something, you say, I guess all we can do is pray. Really, has it come to that? <laughs> like, you know, we've exhausted every other option. Got to pray now. <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of, we all laugh, but, but isn't it the way we tend to operate, you know? We, the first thing we do, particularly if we're doers by nature, is like, do something. Well, that's fine. And I'm all for doing things. I'm not trying to make us all into, like, you know, monks and nuns who just kind of live in mountains and convents and stuff. But uh, there is a sense in which prayer ought to be the first thing we turn to, right? Uh, and uh, so calling upon the Lord. Any thoughts about that? Uh, I want to say something. Go um, ahead. <laughs> the longer I've been going to the church, the more... Christian idea. Well, that's the goal. That's the idea. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> we should put that right on our website. Molly says. <laughs> that's great. Well, my, my father and mother always believed in God. And they're both dead. And uh, my mother, well, never mind. Well, but the, the point I'm, I, I'm picking up here is that you were taught by your parents, you know, early to, to know that there is a God. And then over the course of your life, you've grown and you're understanding. Well, that'll be a problem. So you won't grow if you don't go to church, but now you are. And so now you're growing. That's great. That's great. Me too. <laughs> it's a great place. Well, I try. <laughs> anyway, but that's good stuff, Molly. Thank you. Thank you. So calling upon the Lord. So we call on the Lord. Can you think about uh, times when you prayed and your, your pr- prayers were answered? You don't have to you know, raise a hand or anything like that. But isn't it remarkable that, and I've noticed this about myself, that even though I've had many prayers answered, I'm still not quick to pray. It's like, the last thing I do, or I force myself to do. Oh, I'm going to go out and pray now. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I was, you know, when I was in Connecticut, I, 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 I took a picture of the place that I sit on the porch and noted that, you know, I sat in that same spot for 19 years and I prayed. That was the spot I'd go in the morning to pray. And all the prayers have been answered. It was just like a, it just kind of a hit me. Wow. Everything I prayed for had been answered. And, um, but anyways, so I, I'm, I guess I, I scold myself when I think about that. Like, why don't I pray more? Um, called upon, trusted in, trusted in. Now, there's another thing that's sometimes difficult to do, right? Um, we delude ourselves into thinking that we can control all the things that are going on in our lives. And certainly it's a fine thing to try to exercise some control over your life. You know, you want to control your finances, you want to control your temper, you want to control, uh, you know, the, the, the moles in the yard. <laughs> there are lots of things that are worth exercising control over. But ultimately we all rely on the Lord for everything, right? 
but we're just not conscious of it. And I think it's important to remember that we, tr that we should trust the Lord, particularly when things are... Have, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, something on your mind? Everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> exactly what you're talking about. So at about three in the morning, that's just like when it hits, hits you know. Uh, and then, you know, the sun comes up and, you're, and you say to yourself, why did I lose sleep? You know, it's not, there's some, but there's something about moments like that where you just kind of feel all alone. You wonder, you know, about the shortness of life and about things that could happen that you can't really control. And it's at moments like that that you really have to choose to trust, right? It doesn't come as easy. Any thoughts on that? My father taught me to never doubt to have to always give full control to God. Well, and the reason why that makes good sense is because he already is in control, even if you don't give it to him. <laughs> you know, you see those bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot, what kind of nonsense is this? <laughs> you know, but that's often how we kind of uh, flatter ourselves, you know, in terms of our, our sense of being. Now, I'm just a passenger, I could say. <laughs> I'm actually in the back of the plane, <laughs> kind of riding through the rough air, wondering if the plane's going to hold up. <laughs> you know, that's kind of more my experience. Any other thoughts on that? Just the... Just that God uses distress yeah. in our lives to bring us to prayer, to bring us to an acknowledgement of Him. So maybe that's the formula for no distress in your life. Not, you know, just, just never stop praying. <laughs> I'm having a little fun, but, <laughs> but I know exactly what you're, you're getting at, yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, I, I think I brought this up before, but... For those who were around, 9-11 on a national scale, yeah. certainly in my lifetime, I've never seen an acknowledgement of the need for God and open public prayer taking place. And, and people who would never even say such things, yeah. saying it on broadcasts of networks yeah. and, and as well as presidents, Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was just, you know. Yeah, and, and, you, and you're like, uh, is that, I guess that's how stubborn we are. It takes stuff like that to kind of knock us into some sense. Um, yeah, I, I think that whole matter of, you remember, you ever see that film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Ulysses Everett McGill. So it's, you know, he's played by, what's his name, George Clooney. And uh, he's just, you know, this sort of flamboyant atheist throughout until the final scene <laughs> where he's, you know, his head is in a noose and he's uh, waiting for the, uh, the devil, the, the, the kind of the personification of the devil is this marshal with the flaming eyes uh, and uh, to, uh, you know, hang him and he prays at that moment. You know, he prays at that moment. And then he's delivered. And then as soon as his head comes out of the water, he's back to his nonsense. <laughs> you know, he talks about, oh, it was just a coincidence and <laughs> that kind of thing. But it, that's the way our country behaved. <laughs> right? 
Anyway, everybody's going to go home and watch Oh Brother Worth, which isn't a bad thing to do. I'm not saying that everything in it's good, but uh, it's actually a blending of Odysseus, uh, the Odyssey, and the Bible. Very clearly, all the way through, uh, it's the Bible and uh, Odysseus. That's the inspiration for it. And Southern Gothic. There's something about Southern Gothic art that's just sort of remarkable. It's like, it's like there's nothing else like it in the world. Other thoughts on that? Okay. Um, called upon, trusted in, and served. Oh, that part. <laughs> you know. So again, this gets back to the, to the praised. So I think that as human beings, we impute ill intent to God to justify our own sinfulness. This is a normal thing. Uh, and so when we think, well, what does God need my praise for? Is he some kind of egotist? Then we think, what does God need my service for? Is he some kind of invalid? You know, is he some kind of control freak? Um, this obviously is the wrong way to think about it. In the first case, we talked about how praise benefits us. Service does too, right? So when people wonder, what's the purpose of my life? And then they just sort of fall into the pit of their own desires and discover that it doesn't have any bottom. Just give themselves over to the lusts uh, of, you know, that, that they uh, initially revel in and then come to hate. That's one of the things. Remember, so this is one of the most, I think, remarkable things about Tolkien's Lord of the Rings is Gollum. He loved and hated the ring. That's us. Gollum was a picture of the corruption of the human person. The corruption of uh, what sin really does to us. Uh, we, we, we long for it. We, we cherish it. We uh, pursue it. And it kills us. And we end up having this love-hate relationship with it. But when we serve the Lord, we, we have, our life has purpose. We're serving something that is bigger than any of us. It's not just that we're serving other people. We're serving God as we serve other people. You see what I'm getting at? We're, we're doing something significant with our lives. Um, we, you know, we have to control ourselves so that we can be free to serve. So the self-control doesn't, isn't in an end in itself, but it serves a higher purpose. Um, other thoughts on that? Yeah, David. We've become so temporary. I mean, it's easy to point out in seventh graders' lives, so you guys barely think five minutes ahead. But really, most of us Christians, we don't see the telos, the real end. Mm -hmm. If we did, we would reorganize our lives, so we're ready. Right. And then everything is serving this greater purpose, which, like how you started, there's a truth coming. It's called eternity. Right, right. So it puts everything in perspective. Yeah. Right. Other thoughts? So I think that through, our, through service, we're actually enriched. Um, 
it's, it's, it's not as though, um, and I, can't, I think that's another thing we wonder about. We wonder about, well, if I serve the Lord and I serve other people, won't I be impoverished? That's kind of the, the fear that we'll be taken advantage of. That, And certainly you can be taken advantage of. We do live in a sinful world where people do take advantage of the good-heartedness of other people. Or to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, it doesn't necessarily mean that you make yourself the, the, the chump every time you're in the room, <laughs> you know. But uh, nevertheless, when we do serve uh, the Lord and other people, we come away enriched. Um, I've got a lot of things that come to mind when I think about that, but maybe you do. So any, any examples maybe in your own life where that, that was the case? Yeah, David. My whole life has been enriched simply because I was called upon to serve other people in one various way or, or not. Just some I received no payment, some I received insult, some I received a large payment. And, but in every single one of these acts, there was even more tiny branches that yeah. went beyond that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just, it's kind of incredible the, the deepness of which you can go if you're willing to see. Yeah. And it, yeah, it can be a very surprising kind of uh, thing when, you know, the old kind of cynical statement, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> That's, you know, people say that because it happens, which tells you something about human nature, of course. Um, but there are also things that you do that you hardly even know that you've done that other people have received and are, you know, deeply grateful for. And you're like, it didn't cost me anything really, but now this other person has acknowledged it and isn't that great? Yeah, Jonathan. When you were talking about, um, when you were sharing your, your, your manuscript for your Bitcoin yeah. um, and, and talking about intrinsic value, extra, you know, I read shortly thereafter uh, some article on how expensive you know it is to have kids. Yeah, right. You know, like three hundred fifty thousand dollars by the time they're eighteen. Like, not or so, I don't know something. Yeah, like that. no, that's actually right. It's, it, fact, it's, I think it's, it's actually higher. It's a very and it wasn't necessarily against having kids. It was just trying to document it, right? Yeah. Um, and and your 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 thoughts on exchanging you know for for what is close gets closer and closer to intrinsically valuable god himself right. um and it's like that's a that's a pretty cheap three hundred fifty thousand dollars for an eternal to, to to invest in in an eternal soul yeah that's a pretty cheap bargain right yeah. um bargain, yeah. if it's if it's done right yeah. um like, why not exchange, right? So, so service, right? If we, if we are in service to God, right? If we are spending our life for his glory, um, that's a pretty cheap bargain. Yeah, it's a great bargain. Yeah, we're playing with house money. <laughs> right. Yeah, Mark. Just building on that, just how God has established, he's created economies. <laughs> economies that work are economies that serve the, the needs of others, be it through goods or services. Right. And right. in that way, they're enriched and we're enriched right. at the same time. And those, that, those economies based on systems that do not do that just right. basically go looking 
to the kind of economy I just described to help them survive and be a parasite, yeah. or or to some way model it. And even even in cases where I, I think of our own system, and I think of the control of our monetary system and how much that redistributes wealth, and it still can't outrun the amount of wealth that yeah. keeps coming at it. Yeah, that's a great set of observations. It reminds me of a couple of things. One, like when we think about a materialist account of the economy, you end up with winners and losers all the time. That's why the woke and the, you know, anything that's influenced by a sort of Marxist agonistics understanding of anything, you have winners and losers. So, you know, the idea that you've got, gotten a profit because you've started a business, took great risk, worked really hard and hired some other people and they contributed to this profit, that means you've stolen from them. That's the Marxist analysis. That's the uh, sort of the understanding of the uh, labor theory of value. But uh, if you have a, you know, a transcendent source of value, right, that means that it's limitless and in some sense uh, when we create value, we're reflecting that. Now, uh, a, a person who's done some writing on that is George Gilder. Uh, George Gilder is a, a guy that has written a number of important books. He's got a new one that's come out uh, basically a, in defense of capitalism. But, but no, I think it's actually called The End of Capitalism. But what he's getting at in that is he's not saying that capitalism was necessarily bad, but, uh, but that it was an incomplete way of thinking about just this very thing. So what happens in a really uh, thoroughly spiritually understood economy is uh, kind of in a mutual enrichment through exchange. So in any exchange, both parties should come away believing that they were be they're better off, right? Otherwise, there's been some theft. So if I, you know, buy a work of art from somebody who has you know, gone into the, to the time and the effort of creating it, uh, that person has the, you know, the, the, the money that I gave him, and I've got the art. And I feel richer, and he feels richer, or she feels richer. Get, the, get it. Now, um, that requires a spiritual dimension to things. It requires a transcendent source of value in order to make sense. Um, but it's because we are both made in the image of God and we're exchanging things of value that we both come away from the, from the exchange richer for it. Yeah, Lisa. It actually reminds me of, kind of I'm going to make a connection actually for service, but one of the things that kind of frustrates me about consumers often is the things that they, um, the points that they give to the liberals when liberals say, well, um, you know, the, the capital society is selfish by definition. Yes. You know, if you're exchanging, you're, you're always trying to benefit yourself. And often consumers are like, yeah, yeah, I guess, but that's nonsense because, like, that, by that definition, eating is selfish. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Right, that's right. I'm not going to eat because I would be self-indulgent. <laughs> right. And, and to bring that back to um, the service aspect, um, I think often this, this idea that like service is always easier 
if you actually are doing it not out of sense of obligation, but a sense of love and care, and because yeah. like, you, um, like you love your family, so you serve them. And then um, I think a lot of like kind of in the Christian circles, they also kind of give that up to, well, that's selfish, because you really should um, work out of obligation is um, even more kind of yeah. important than, um, you know, serving out of love. Um, but I think it's kind of the opposite. If you're working, obviously there's things you need to do out of obligation, but it should always be moving toward, away from that and toward doing yeah. that kind of work. Yeah, I think, yeah that's, a, that's a great way to put it. And uh, even when we think about what that other kind of way of thinking actually reflects, uh, it's not Christian. Um, so as Christians, uh, are we getting something out of this? You better believe we are. <laughs> Eternal life, right? The resurrection from the dead, you know, th- this, the glory of God, we're getting uh, the riches of God. Um, and when we think about our exchange with other people, you, you think about another way to think about it is in a in a healthy economy, let's say you're going to start a business. Well, you start a business and make really rotten things and then yell at people if they, you know, to make them come and get buy them. No. What you do is you say, okay, there's something people need. I've got an idea that will enrich their lives, and in exchange, they'll pay me. <laughs> I'll get something out of it, too. So when, it, when, it, when it's understood in the, in, a, in the, I think, Christian way, um, Every, everything we, now everything can go wrong. You can lose sight of the fact that you're serving other people and just do it for the money. That's true. But you can also do it for the right reasons, and uh, they benefit and you benefit, and everyone's enriched. Anyway, we've gone past the appointed hour. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Uh, again, this time to reflect on important things, and we pray, Lord, that, that you'll help us to worship you the way we should. In Christ's name, amen.